Uh, this morning, I only have a voice for one sermon, so you get to hear it. I think in the next service, I'll just repeat uh, uh, from the computer what I said here. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and we're gonna, I'm going to just read the scripture in the middle of this sermon, so if you find your way there, it'd be helpful as we look at several different aspects of this passage, Luke chapter 5, page 860. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you that you can use. What's God's plan to give hope to this world? What is that plan? In a, in a world that seems to tend towards darkness or even prefer darkness, it's, it's easy to get demoralized when you watch the decay happening inside of your own culture. In 1965, the illegitimacy rate, children born outside of marriage, was 8%, 1965. Today, it's over 40%. And in some urban cultures, it's well over 70%. No doubt you've heard in the news a recent battle between two divorced parents over a seven-year-old boy. The dad treats the boy, James, as a young man. The mom treats James as a girl. She dresses him as a girl. She calls him Luna rather than James. And she wants the dad to begin to pay for hormone treatments right now for the seven-year-old boy. That would begin to physically transition him from a boy to a girl. In the Vietnam War, the total number of lives lost were for Americans were about sixty thousand for the whole world for the whole war. war. Every year now in America, seventy thousand people die of drug overdose. So when we see these statistics, and these are just a few of many that you could bring up and you hear about them, you feel that you might have some sense of darkness creeping in. If it's not into your world, maybe it's into your culture. What's, what's God's plan? What's his plan to, to not just stand against the darkness, but to somehow penetrate this darkness, to, to actually begin to affect positive change in individual lives and in the life of a culture and the life of a city? What's his plan as Jeremy prayed to, to bring light in to the darkness? And God's hope for the world, the answer to that question is the local church. That's his plan. He doesn't have another plan. That's his number one plan. He when God has a plan, he doesn't need a, like a backup plan in case that one doesn't work. And you might say, dang, that's not a very good plan. And I would want you to direct all your emails to the Lord rather than to me. That's his business. I'm just telling you what he said. And we know that's his plan. We know that's the plan, even though there are times it feels like the church is, is making a difference, and then times it feels like it's, it's bringing in darkness inside of its own doors. Because Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells us that's his plan. He's going to stand at the center of the church. And he says, I'm going to build my church. All, all the churches who say Jesus Christ is Lord, that's the true church. And I'm going to stand at that church. I'm going to build my church. And then he tells the disciples, 
who are going to have real darkness come on their lives, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's, that's my plan. And I'm looking for people who are wanting to partner with me. In Matthew 16, he's looking at these 12 disciples and saying, hey, I'm going to be at the center. I'm going to make sure darkness doesn't prevail. But I, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to ask for people to partner with me. People who will stand with me. People who will make this same proclamation. People who will penetrate dark places. And he's looking for partners in the first century. He's looking for partners today. And my question to, to me, to us as a church, to you as an individual, are you wanting to partner with Jesus? You want to be a partner with him. You want to say, hey, I'm willing to take a stand. I'm willing to be somebody who stands with Jesus. I'm willing to stand in dark places in a culture. I'm willing to be part of the answer to the prayer that Jeremy talked about is I'm going to be part of the answer of being the light I'm going to hold out the word of light against the darkness, as Paul says in Philippians. And you might say, well, I might be interested in that partnership. What kind of partner is Jesus looking for? And fortunately, the answer is found here in our text this morning. Luke chapter 5. I love this little passage because it, it tells us exactly the kind of partner Jesus is looking for. He's looking for partners. He's looking maybe at you this morning and asking you, hey, would you be willing to be a partner with Jesus? And he's going to tell us, here are the kinds of characteristics I'm looking for. And let's read this together. Luke 5 verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus is standing by the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing the nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Peter, Simon Peter, he asked Peter to put out from the land a little way. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished, he turns to Peter, who's in the boat, and says, let's put out in the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we, we've toiled all night. We... We haven't taken anything, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled up both the boats so that they both began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were fishing partners with Peter. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. They left everything to follow Jesus. The very first thing to notice here, and the thing that really I find really fascinating about this passage is Jesus is teaching, and Luke is recording. He's the writer. And you would think, okay, Jesus is teaching. And look, he's teaching so that crowds are gathering, 
So I'm Luke, I'm the writer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take note of this. I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna put this in a book somewhere. But notice he doesn't do that here. For, for Luke, the most important thing, believe it or not, right at this moment, isn't Jesus's teaching, which seems stunning to me. But it's Jesus's testing. You see, he's taking the lens and instead of focusing the camera on Jesus' teaching, he, he's turned the dial a bit, and now he's focused on testing because you realize Jesus is always doing a thousand things at one time. He's never just doing one thing. So in the middle of this teaching, he's also giving Peter a little test. He's looking for a partner. He's wondering if Peter can be his partner. This is right as Jesus is ready to launch his, his leadership team. And so when you come to church today, the most important thing today might not be the teaching. What? The preacher says that? It might be a little test. He just brought you here for a little test. A little conversation, a little something he's asking of you today in some way that's a little test to say, hey, are you ready to be a partner with me? So we focus in on this test, and in this test we see at least four characteristics. There's more, but these are, I only have time for four. I might only have a voice for one or two. So in this passage, four characteristics, action, obedience, credit, and sacrifice. Action, obedience, credit, and sacrifice. Action, Jesus was teaching people by the Sea of, Gal of Galilee, and the longer he teaches, the more people come. This is the, the wish of every preacher, that the longer I preach, more and more people come. But that doesn't happen. The longer I preach, then people begin to dissipate. But here in Jesus, he's preaching, and the more he preaches, people come, and he has this problem. The people are pressing in on him, and he's by the, the Sea of Galilee, and he's about ready to walk into the water, and so he turns to, Pe to Peter. He, he hops in Peter's boat very quickly, uninvited, and, and, and to ask Peter this simple request. Peter, will you help me solve a logistics problem? I've got a little logistics problem. I need to get you in the boat and you row out a little ways. And can you just kind of steady the boat so I can finish my sermon here to these people? And what Peter doesn't realize at this moment is that Jesus is giving Peter a little test. Peter, the most important thing right now is not what I'm teaching these people, is how you're going to respond to this little test. Simple, simple little test. Peter, I have a challenge, Jesus is saying, before me. And I want to know if you, want to, if you can make my challenge your challenge. I, I have a challenge, and I'm wondering if you can make... Make my challenge your challenge. Will you drop everything right now in order to respond to me? What, what a test. See, Jesus, you think Jesus could have just rode out himself? Yeah, of course he could have. It's been simple. He's not going very far. He's just trying to get some distance out. But he wants Peter. He, he's trying to do more than one thing at a time. He's trying to build a team. He's looking for somebody who's going to accept a challenge. Because Jesus is looking for a team, uh, t uh, some partners who aren't just going to launch a boat, but launch a church, launch a movement. 
And I'm looking for people who are willing to launch this movement. And the one thing I need them to do is when I ask, I need them to take action. I need them to be leaning towards taking action. Especially when there are problems that I'm facing. It's, it's not, I notice it's not a glamorous assignment. You got to row the boat. You got to sit behind Jesus while he tells people about him. That sounds like church work. Not glamorous. Just row the boat and get Jesus in front of people. It's, people aren't staring at you. People are staring at Jesus. People are astonished at Jesus. Now, what, Peter, what could have Peter said? What might you have said? What might I have said? Look, I'm tired. I've been out all night. Row your own boat. Could have been what he had said. Hey, how about cutting the sermon off early? Just give us all a break. See, there's all kinds of things. I'm tired. I'm busy doing something. I can't come and make your challenge my challenge. And if Peter had done that, now we don't know in God's providence. Might have been the last time you ever heard of Peter. Jesus has given Peter a little test. Look, I know you're tired. I know you're busy, but I'm going to be asking you to do things all the time when you're tired and you're busy. That's how I'm going to work. I I need you, when I say I've got a challenge, I need you to overcome your tiredness. I need you to overcome your busyness. And I need you to make my challenge your challenge. That's the kind of person I'm looking for. A person who's willing and leaning in towards taking action. Well, Peter, you know, he gets a bad rap so many times. He passes the test. No comments. He puts, puts his nets aside, jumps in the boat, rows out, steadies Jesus to the end of the sermon. He ta- passes the, the first test. This first little, it's like a hinge on a great door. This little hinge, Peter passes, and a great door is going to open up to him. A great door of ministry that he can't possibly imagine right now. But Jesus is wondering if this hinge is going to open this great door of opportunity. And right now, right now, for some of you, there might be a little hinge test happening. You're tired. You're busy. And Jesus is asking you to do something not big. But it's going to be, it's going to be a hinge that opens a door for ministry that you can't imagine right now. Peter, Peter passes the test. Do, do you lean towards action? Or are you too tired or too busy? Do, do you make Jesus' challenges your challenges? See, he, he knows the kind of energy it's going to take, the kind of sacrifice it's going to take to launch a church. Because it's the hope of the world. It's the light that's going to stand in the darkness. And it's going to take partners who would put things down to take action for Jesus. It's not, it's not going to be done by passive types. People, people need to have a bias toward action, not excuses. So I want to say thank you as the pastor of Christ Community Church because I've seen this happen so many times in ways I, you can't even mention. People just come into the office. People show up. People 
talk to Karen today or talk to somebody and say, hey, I hear that. Is there some way I can help? That happens all the time at Christ Community Church. They hear somebody say something and they step forward and say, hey, I have some gifts I can give to the youth ministry or for Morgan on the worship team or somebody in the children's ministry. I mean, there's all kinds of ways people are doing that. And I want to say thank you because I feel like as a church, when we look at our community, when we look at what's happening, we try to say, what, what resources do I have? How can I lean forward? So I'm, I'm thankful that I feel like we're doing well on that test. Test, test number two, characteristic number two, a little, little more difficult test, the obedience test. The master theologian, the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, the expert in things of God, gives fishing advice to a professional. Now, pro- professional fishermen, not open to advice, right? And so you, you, get, you get it here. Jesus says, hey, hey, Peter, one more little test. He doesn't say this, but it's a test. You know it's a test. I mean, you passed the first test, but I want to see if the, the door has two hinges on it. Can you put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch? See, it's not, it's not a complex request, but what's so challenging about this request? It's the opposite of what Peter thinks is right. That's what's challenging about this test. I mean, possibly on the first test, Peter can see, hey, Jesus is about ready to back up in the water, I'll jump in. But now, this is counterintuitive to everything that I think. All of my professionalism, all of my wisdom says you don't put it out in the middle of the day. All, all the fish are too far down. We can't catch them in the net. What a challenging test, especially challenging when you're tired, when you're busy. Peter's response, you don't, you don't know the tone. This is where you wish you could hear the tone. We toiled all night. What do you think that tone was? We, not you, Jesus. You were back sleeping. Remember that? We, we toiled all night. We, the pros, caught nothing. Man, now maybe I'm going to get to heaven. Peter said, "That's not how I sounded," but I mean, that's how I feel. I feel it. We, we toiled all night. We, the professionals, took in nothing. We didn't take in anything. See the test. Does, does Peter obey Jesus or Peter? Is Peter willing to go to places he'd rather not go? See, you and I, we only, we only know that. We're only going to know that if we're asked to do something that's the opposite of what we would do. That's the only way you know it. You don't know it any other way. It's the only way you know if you pass that test. If you say, I have some feeling that this is what I want or the way I want to go, but I have some knowledge that God wants me to move in a different direction. That's, that's when we know we're, we're going to really be tested. Peter passes this, this great test, this great test. Verse 5, but, but, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I, I really prefer the NIV. It says, Because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. This prayer, this has to be underlined in your Bible. Because you say so, I will. This has to be a prayer 
for every partner of Jesus. This is 101. If you want to follow Jesus, this has to be a prayer that you might give to Jesus every single day. God, I've got plans, I've got desires, I've got directions, but if you want to come in perpendicular to, the, to those things, because you said so, I will. What a great passing of this test. This is a, a great, again, the second hinge that opens up this whole new life to Peter. He doesn't even see it. Because you say so. God, I know what I would do right now. I know how I feel right now. I know what the world tells me to do. I know what all my friends are telling me to do. But because you say so, I will. You've got to master this little prayer if you want to be a partner with Jesus. Remember Jesus' last conversation with Peter? John 21. He's at that little campfire. He's cooked some fish. Peter is being reinstated. Remember, he's fallen away. And Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says this, when you're old, you'll be asked to stretch out your hands. Because Jesus knew Peter was going to be crucified just like him. And you'll be asked, you will be led to a place, listen, that you don't want to go. Follow me. If you want to be a partner, you're going to be asked to go to places you don't want to go. Follow me. The action test, the obedience test, the credit test. We all know what happens here. Peter rows out to the deep water. He he lowers in his nets, probably reluctantly. I just cleaned these nets. You ever done that? Starts pulling on the net. I can't can't even move it. Maybe he thinks it's it's a snag. I mean, I don't know. He realizes fish coming up, and it's so many. Gets his partners. He's not that far from the shore. Hey guys, row out here. Let's let's get all these fish in. The fish so great, they're sinking both of these boats. Everybody can't believe it. It says everyone was astonished. I love how one commentator says it's everyone is encompassed in amazement. There's this ring of amazement. Everybody, the crowds, the professional fishermen, all the people who'd come to hear Jesus, they're all standing around. They've never seen so many fish in their whole life. They're amazed. And you, you know what's happening right here. How does this happen? I mean, only a few people know what happened. Maybe just, just Peter and Jesus. How did this happen? Who, who deserves the credit? Who's the pro? Who's the genius who thought up this plan? It's a critical moment. It's a critical test for Peter. Who deserves the credit test? Oh, Peter passes this test. Peter passes. Falls on his knees in front of the whole crowd. Lord, Lord, you should depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm, I couldn't have possibly thought of a plan like this. I'm not even worthy of being in your presence. Peter passes the test in front, of, in front of the crowd and with great clarity gives Jesus the credit. And you might think, okay, so Peter, he's a young man. It's a tough test. 
especially when you're young, you have your first, you know, the first thing you do that's really awesome and you, you just cut, somehow you want to step into that limelight. You want to grab a little of that glory for yourself. Of course, that is a tough test when you're young. How about when you're old and seasoned? How about when you're King David and you're at the end of your life and you're at the top of your power and popularity and you've done all these things. You've seen how God's done work so many miracles. Remember what he does? Very end of the book, 2 Samuel. He calls in his general. You know what he says? Go out and count the men. I just want to glory in how much power I have. And Joab, the general, shakes David and says, David, don't do this. You are going to be sorry you did this because I can already tell your motive. You're going to want to parade this number out and around. You're going to want to give the illusion that you did it all. Don't, don't count. Don't count. Count. So he counts. He comes back. It's, it's 1.3 million soldiers. And immediately he's cut to the heart. Here's a man who's seen so many great things. who's sung so many great songs to the glory of God. And yet, even in his old age, he amasses all this wealth and he just wants the glory in it and say, look what I've done. See, it's a temptation at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. The cost of that for David was not just to David. 70,000 men died. See, the credit test, it's in important test. Huge test if you want to be a partner with Jesus. I mean, how is, how is Peter going to respond when he gives the very first sermon in Acts 2 and 3,000 people come forward? See, right at that moment, look, look what power I have as a speaker. See, Jesus knows. So he's given him a little tiny little test right here, and you might be having that tiny little test right now. Final test. I mean, all these tests are hard, are they not? They're little in the beginning, but they get difficult. The sacrifice test, or I'm going to call this, you have to leave valuable things behind test. Peter, he's standing in front of his largest paycheck ever. I don't know about you, but I, I remember when I was, I think, a senior in high school, I'd done some work for somebody, and I got the biggest paycheck I ever got. It was like $300. I was like, $300? I mean, look what I could do. I just thought, this is awesome. I didn't even want to cash the check. I just wanted to stare at it. I want to show it to all my friends. Look at this check. Peter, you know his mind's calculating. Look how much money we could have. I can buy all the stuff my wife's been wanting me to buy now. I can get all this stuff. Jesus looks at him and gives him a final test and says, Hey, Peter, can you leave this behind? Can you leave it all behind? Can you give me that check? I'm not going to cash that one. Because it's such a much bigger check. little series of books called Dear America. They're all, it's like little diaries, little small books, all written in a diary form, historical fiction. They take pieces of history and weave together a story about different parts of the beginnings of America. 
And one of the books is titled Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie. And about, it's about one family's journey on the Oregon Trail. Remember, Missouri to Oregon. So this 2,000-mile journey they take from Missouri to Oregon. And it's in the diary form. A little girl's writing her diary, and you get to learn about what happens. And they start in Independence, Missouri. And they have a covered wagon. And the covered wagon is stuffed with so much stuff, nobody can ride in the covered wagon. Just the stuff rides in the covered wagon. Everybody's going to walk the 2,000 miles. Imagine that. We've got so much stuff, nobody can get in the wagon. But as you read the diary, slowly, sometimes painfully, stuff has to come off the wagon. At one point, the little girl says, it looks like we left behind the general store. A wedding dress, furniture, tools, a large trunk. And then she writes this, I waited for Ma to break down, but she didn't. She reminded me that this was the last chance to follow a dream. Six months of travel, family finally enters Oregon. Everyone's on foot. They don't even have the wagon anymore. The mom, she has a dress and one spoon when she enters into the dream of Oregon. In order to reach a dream, in order to partner with Jesus, you have to leave valuable things behind. And some of us here are stuck because we have a wagon full of stuff. And we insist on pulling the wagon along with us. We got Jesus, we gotta, I gotta have you, but I gotta have my stuff. And maybe it's time for you just to say, I gotta drop this at the general store. All this stuff I have, all this stuff I'm managing, all this stuff I'm hoping is gonna bring, bring me to my dream, it's actually preventing you from a grander dream. Jesus shares with these men, I have a much grander dream than stuff. I have a much grander dream than dollars. I have a dream about eternal destinies. Uh, uh, something's going to pay off for billions of years. Can you let go of your stuff? It's actually a big test. And if you live in America, it's a really big test. Fortunately, we follow our Savior who he understands the test, doesn't he not? I mean, who, who left something behind in order to pursue a grander dream? Jesus. He, he leaves the comfort of the Trinity. He leaves the glory that was due him. And he, he takes on mocking. He takes on crucifixion. Why? What, what was his grander dream? You. You. Me. I have in my mind the salvation of Paul Phillips' soul. So I'm going to leave some stuff behind in order to go rescue him. And if you want to be a partner in this grand dream, you're going to have to have a bias towards action. 
But that action is going to cause you to go places you don't want to go. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind. So as we take communion this morning, you might think about saying, yes, I'm going to be a partner. And whatever he has in mind for you from this sermon today, may you be obedient to him. Let's pray. Or as you, you really left it all behind at this last supper. You left your life behind. You gave your blood and your body for people like me, for people like Peter. And I pray that you would take these elements and for people who've trusted you, they would, they would renew their partnership with you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will come and usher you forward, so when you're ready.